You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth. Welcome back to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. We're here. We're your host, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And today, our guest is Nancy Sharp. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. So, Nancy, we're so excited to have you on. You are an accomplished author, a speaker. You've helped so many people capture their legacy in so many different ways. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the things that you offer. Thank you so much. I love what I do. I consider myself so privileged to be doing this work, which is really all about helping people to convey the most meaningful stories and values and life experiences, oftentimes as a legacy for their loved ones. I think this is just sacred work. I do this really through two different modalities. I do this through teaching guided autobiography, which is a method of storytelling that helps people to share universal experiences two pages at a time. It's actually a curriculum that was developed in the 1970s by a well-known gerontologist who at the time was looking for ways to help seniors find a greater sense of purpose and meaning about their lives. And I do this, of course, through teaching ethical wills, or as I have, I like to call them life letters. And you are, of course, are in the business and and you know, work with so many different clients who are interested in preserving not just you know the, their financial and their material assets for their loved ones, but what about all those non-tangible, right? Those non-material assets like their family history and the things that have made them uniquely who they are. That is like gold. And it is really a, a privilege to be able to work with clients privately, in groups, in retreats, and in all different kinds of venues. I, I really can't say enough. I feel that this work is transformative. Absolutely. And, and transformative is a perfect word to describe what you do. But you didn't just stumble into this career. You actually have a really powerful backstory. So if you don't mind, take just a couple of minutes and give our listeners just an overview of the incredibly powerful story that led you into what it is that you do now. I do have a story, but then again, I think we all have stories. I call myself a story muse because I'm very good at eliciting everybody's stories. But okay, so my story is the short story because I wrote a book about it. As you know, I've written a couple books. But on the very day that I became a mother and delivered twins, girl boy twins, my daughter Rebecca, my son Casey, we learned that my husband's brain tumor had reoccurred. It was terrifying news, as you could imagine, because here you are in the brink of everything good and joyful happening in life. He had been diagnosed before they were born, but the kind of tumor he had typically affects children ages five and under, and most children with this kind of cancer live. So there was honestly no way to predict his prognosis. And he had done extremely well and lived for 
I mean, really the longest period of wellness, which we wanted to believe was cure. No one actually ever said the word you're cured, but he was in such a long remission and he had been thriving and traveling everywhere and feeling so good and healthy with no signs of cancer that ultimately with the help of his uncle, who actually was a pediatric oncologist and the head of the hospital, children's hospital at Stanford, of all things, he said to us, you know, the only proof of cure is life. And so with those words, we sort of decided that we had to take a leap of faith and start a family. Unfortunately, everything happened at once. And, you know, so just as I was welcoming motherhood, I was also pretty certain that I was going to be a widow. Actually, Brett, my first husband, lived for another two and a half years. But in the end, it was really merciful and anguishing at the same time. And those first two and a half years of the kids' lives, the last two and a half years of his life, however you want to see it, it was both sides now. It was everything at once. But, you know, your clients, right, are having to deal with those kinds of polarities all the time about life and death and joy and sorrow. And they may not be as extreme as my story, but we are all always having to hold those different paradoxes. So I will say that my husband was 39 when he died. I was 37. We had no life insurance, you know, because he was diagnosed, obviously, before the kids were born. And my dog is barking. Levi, stop. You're interrupting. He wants, he wants to be part of the show. Levi can be part of the show. Hey, he's a little jealous. I'm sorry. Um, but had anybody ever, ever said to Brett, you know, your kids are babies. They're going to have no memories of you. Why don't you write a life letter? Why don't you share with them some of the things that you care deepest about? He was a wonderful jokester. He loved to tell jokes. He had great stories. That would have been like old today. That would right. have been old. So I feel a, pers- a sense of personal, I feel a calling really to this work too, because having lived what it means to not be able to have a legacy, the legacy of their dad, right? And knowing that that's on me to sort of perpetuate the the legacy. I want to do everything I can to help clients understand that, you know, don't wait to say the things that need to be said. I have another very powerful story at some point, if we have time, I'd like to share with you about one of my clients who had a freak accident in the midst of working on his life letter that has rendered him a quadriplegic. This was a man who was in the full throttle of life and was working on the life letter. And we were doing several coaching sessions. And then just like that, everything changed for him. But you know, in spite of it all, I mean, and I I was with him in the neurosurgical ICU unit at Anschutz in Colorado, holding his hand, helping him finish this life letter because I knew and he knew this was the most important letter that he would ever write in his entire life. So, and, you know, he feels that he said it all. He called me the night before his huge surgery. I mean, any kind of brain surgery is a big deal. He had broken a couple, he broke his neck, basically. I mean, just a weird thing, right? But life happens. Life happens. His knee gave out at the net while he was playing pickleball, of all things, the biggest craze. And it broke his neck. 
So, but he feels he was running from a lot of these things his entire life. And to have had the opportunity to be able to say them, it gave him an extraordinary peace of mind and an extraordinary sense of comfort going into the surgery. And then also, even now, as he is adjusting to what is for him, unfortunately, a new normal, he has said the things that he needed to say. And that's an enormous source of comfort for him. Absolutely. And I know you could give us a dozen other stories of clients you've worked with that are, it's been transformative. It's been life-changing. It has been so, so powerful. I want to turn for just a minute and talk about your books. So you've written two books so far, both I've read. One is Both Sides Now, and that is a book for adults. So tell us a little bit about Both Sides Now. Well, Both Sides Now is drawn and inspired from the very beautiful Joni Mitchell song, Both Sides Now. And I had heard that song many, many times before I began writing my memoir. But I don't know if anybody has remembers the movie Love Actually. It's actually it's my favorite. We watch it. My husband and I watch it every Christmas. Yes. I watch it every Christmas. Okay. We all watch it every Christmas. And when Emma Thompson is in that bedroom, And she is realizing that her life has taken a dramatic turn. And this melancholic song, Both Sides Now, is playing. Okay, so when I saw that movie, when it had just come out in theaters, I had chills. I still feel it right now. Every hair on my arms was standing on edge. Because I realized as I heard that song anew, that it was the perfect metaphor for my story. And my story, as I described to you moments ago, was very much about having to hold all of life's dualities at the same time. So I feel very proud of that book. And it's an enormous comfort to people who are navigating their own losses. You know, the way it's written, as you may have noticed, is in an unusual way. There's a lot of white space on the page. That's because I wanted my readers to not just hear my story but to read my story and to think about their stories too. So. Absolutely. It's very powerful and and very, I would almost call it interactive as you read through it. And then you have another book that you have written that is actually a children's book called Because the Sky is Everywhere. And that is something that has played a huge part in my life personally. Uh, Recently, uh, my sister-in-law passed and um, left three young children. Um, that now live with us. And so Because the Sky is Everywhere is a book that I've read with them several times because it deals with the loss of a key figure in your life, a parent. And so obviously it means a ton to me personally right now, but tell us a little bit about what led you to write Because the Sky is Everywhere. Well, as a lifelong reader and bookie, I'm always like listening and hearing and paying attention to things. And about six months after my husband died, I was driving in the car with my twins, Casey and Rebecca. We were in Connecticut visiting my parents. And, you know, they didn't go to the funeral. They were they were two and a half when he died. They had no idea what was going on and they thought he was hiding. So the child psychiatrist who I was taking my son to said, why don't you just do a drive-by of a cemetery? Just put it out there and see what comes back. So there happens to be a very old cemetery right near where my parents live. 
I'm talking like tombstones from the early 1600s. So I'm driving my little minivan and the kids are in the back munching on, you know, pirate booty or something. And I said, oh, look, there's a cemetery. And Rebecca, my daughter, said in her very, very high voice at that time, is that where daddy is? And Casey, without missing a beat, said, no, Rebecca, daddy is in the sky. And I just was, I couldn't believe this was coming out of his three-year-old mouth. And I mean, I, you know, I was just kind of thinking, where did he get that language from? Because nobody had ever used that. And Rebecca said, is the sky back that way, mommy? Meaning New York City, where we live. And Casey said, no, Rebecca, the sky is everywhere. And I knew that's the book. That is the book right there. And of course, what he was trying to say, and he came to that realization all on his own, is that even though someone may not physically be with us, that love is everywhere. Absolutely. So powerful. Okay, Stan, I know you have 100 comments and questions. What do you have for Nancy? Boy, this interview could last a long time, you know? We can do it in two different parts if you want. I'll talk to you guys anytime. So I'm curious. I know you you now work with clients, and I'm guessing you work with clients that have, you know, different levels of economic means, some some wealthy probably and some not so wealthy. Right. I'm curious to hear like like how do you do this? I mean, for real. Like if you if somebody wanted to engage you to work with and develop a story like what are the different modalities that you use i've heard you use some words you know in this interview just talk for a minute about some of the different ways you go at this okay so and i do work with many diverse clients so thank you for shining a light on that as a matter of fact i did a program for the denver public library here and it was sponsored by a the next 50 initiative and we had about 30 different people in the class. And these were not people with a lot of means. And it was great. I have to tell you, it was great. So I principally work over Zoom, because Zoom, right, allows us to come together, right, and to bring people together. And it's especially good when you're working with people in different parts of the country or in different parts of the world. I mean, I have to say that most of my clients both through guided autobiography and also through my life, the life letters coaching, I've never met them. But you know, it's okay, because I'm an excellent teacher and trainer, and I love engaging with people, and it's okay. So I do this work via Zoom, but I also do it in person. I do it privately, I do it semi-privately, I do it in smaller groups, I do it in larger groups. As a matter of fact, I'm really excited because I'm going to be leading a life letters retreat at the historic Biltmore estate in Asheville, North Carolina in April. And I have always wanted to go to Asheville. So I'm really excited about that. But you know, I was approached by writing workshops, which is a group that puts on a lot of different writers retreats. And now I want to say that I'm very careful that this is not the life letters is not for people who are experienced writers. You don't you can have zero writing experience. Okay, zero. We are storytelling. I am a muse. Now, I have a master of fine arts in creative nonfiction. So I do teach a lot of craft to my students, but that's only with the intention of helping them deepen their stories on the page. 
Nobody needs to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not a writer. I can't do this. And, you know, I will say one other thing. I've been a CEO speechwriter for many years. I don't really actively promote that, but I've written for Fortune 500 CEOs. I've written for many celebrities and I've written for physicians. I've written for everyday people. And so if there is a client who may just feel a little gun shy, perhaps, about doesn't know how, you know, just feels really uncomfortable, I'm really, I'm able also to help with the written part as well. I mean, this is something, the life letter that doesn't need to be perfect. You know, it can be published, I have to say. So this story that I was sharing with you moments ago about my client, who's the retired physician who had this terrible accident. Actually, he and I are going to do an interview on Colorado Public Radio in a few weeks, and they're going to publish his life letter. And it's wonderful. And you know, he doesn't have children, by the way. And so I wanted to mention that too, because you may have clients who don't have children, but this is something that they want to do for themselves and for their communities. That is, you know, everybody is welcome. Absolutely. And I love that you brought that up to point out the fact that just because you may not have children or grandchildren, that doesn't mean that you can't leave an incredible legacy on the lot, the people that you interact with and the community that you interact with. So thank you for bringing that up. Stan, go ahead. Yeah, I was just about to say, I know I have a lot of experience of confronting a blank computer screen myself, and I know how intimidating that can be and how for a lot of people, a blank computer screen becomes a permanent barrier to actually creating any content. And the idea of having a coaching program that really that really moves people through a process that ends up resulting in actually writing the story they want to write seems really, really amazing and compelling. I understand that when you talk about that. What I don't understand, though, is, and I'd like to have you shed some more light on a guided autobiography. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means, what well, that looks like. Yeah. And I know I was just going to say that most people need a little bit of a guide and some accountability because we all talk about wanting to leave, write a legacy letter, a life letter, whatever you're going to call it. We have the best of intentions of doing it. But let's face it, life gets in the way, you know, things happen and it's very easy to put off. So I think what people tell me over and over again is they feel so good that they get it done. That's really important. So a guided autobiography, it's really just a method of storytelling to help capture people's life experiences. So in spite of the word autobiography, most students are not actually writing their autobiography. They are writing autobiographically. And I have many, many clients who have taken guided autobiography with me that then go on to want to write a life letter. Because the life letter, of course, is a more distilled document. You know, it is not the story of your life. It is maybe a couple of key stories. It is the family history. It is the values maybe told through stories. So whereas guided autobiography, it's a little bit more amorphous, Stan, if that makes sense. There are clients who choose to put their stories together. I was going to say, is there an end product? I mean, is there there an end? Yeah, well, there can be. There can be. With guided autobiography, the end product can be they'll put their stories together. I do have clients who are writing books, but that would be, you know, that would be really the minority. I mean, I have been, I have helped been a book coach over the years too. I'm actually working 
with a client right now. It's a legacy book, honestly. It's an incredible legacy book that she's she's working on. But most people who take guided autobiography, they come to it because they want to leave something for their loved one. They want to be able to tell stories about family. They want to be able to tell a story about love. They want to be able to tell a story about health. They want to be able to tell a story about a time, you know, when they found their strength or a time they learned to navigate a difference in their lives. So I love to create all kinds of different themes. In fact, I have clients who have been, you know, and sometimes I use students and clients interchangeably. So you know what I'm talking about. Right. I do have corporate clients also and community foundations I work with, but individual clients can also be students. You know, I have clients I've worked with for a number of years and they just want more because it is such a wonderful experience of getting to know really of getting to tell the stories that are so meaningful. And oftentimes, those are the stories that find themselves into a life letter. It's fantastic. Okay, I have one more question for you. And it's going to be the most difficult one. But you help other people all the time capture their legacies. So Nancy, tell us, what is it you hope that your legacy will be? That's a very good question. You know, I think I'm living my legacy right now. I love making an impact, a positive impact in people's lives. I really do. That is my legacy. And kindness is my legacy. I know that on my epitaph, I wanted to say she was kind. I feel that I am doing the work I was meant to be doing. I'm using my experience in a way that serves other people. And it's a privilege. I, you know, we're ending with this, but that's also how we started with this, that I do. It's funny. I never thought of it like that, Katie Beth, that I am living my legacy right now by doing this truly important work. Absolutely. Great stuff. Is there anything else we forgot to talk about that you would like our listeners to know about? You know, I do want to say one thing that comes up a lot because there are people who can be very uncomfortable with the word will as an ethical will or will in general, because nobody likes to think about mortality. Listen, I've lived it, but I still get it. I understand. It can make people queasy and uneasy, and it's the last thing you want to deal with. Similarly, I don't have a problem with the word legacy, and obviously you two don't either, but there are a lot of clients who might. And we have to be sensitive to the fact that people have different orientation. So In light of those sensitivities, I decided that instead of, you know, calling this work, you know, the ethical will or the legacy letter, as it is oftentimes called, I decided to call it the life letter because honestly, you know, you're never too young to begin crafting a life letter. You're never too old either, but don't wait to say the things that need to be said. You know, legacy is not something for, you know, for those of us, for people who are facing the end of their lives, we get to chant, we get the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to craft our legacies now. So it's never too early, it's never too late. And I think that the life letter truly is a way to transform the living. It's about living with greater intention and purpose today, as well as for the long term and for the future. Absolutely. 
Thank you all for joining us. You have been listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today has been Nancy Sharp. For more information on Nancy, the events or programs she offers, please visit nancysharp.net. And Nancy, as always, it's great to see you. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.